This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When I was growing up, my father, his brother, and my cousins, Vinny and Rodney, all used to go camping out in the wilderness of the Appalachian Mountains where we lived. This was a gritty, backwoods kind of place that few people ever camp in. And when they do, it's never alone. We took our tents, knives, my dad and uncle always had their rifles, and a couple of fishing poles. We didn't pack food, and the only drinks we carried were beers and the coolers for the two adults. The rest of us roughed it, drinking only water from natural sources. We filled our canteens, set up camp, and hunted for our food. My father was fond of telling us youngsters that this was the way real men camped. You know, living off the land and roughing it. He thought it would make better men out of us. We learned how to survive, for sure. He and my uncle made sure to teach us different little survival techniques and tricks that most people never, ever have to worry about knowing. You know, the kinds of things that you tell at cookouts to impress others, but you never really have to put them to use. These camping trips always happened twice a year. Once in the spring and once in the fall, for two or three weeks at a time. Now, <laughs> I'm sure to most of you that sounds like a death sentence, but back then, all of us boys thought of it as a vacation. If the trips were planned while we were still having school, guess what? We were excused for the duration of the trip. We still had to bust our asses and do the book work, but we never really complained just manned up and did the assignments well ahead of time and turned them in the day before we left for our camping trips. By far, by far the absolute favorite things about the trips were learning about the wildlife and the close contact with nature. It was exhilarating as well as peaceful, simple, forthright, and things seemed fair out in the wild. If you killed something, you had a good dinner, you were lazy or bad hunter like Rodney was, well, you settled for what someone else gave you to eat. 
Rodney ate a lot of berries as he got older, because quite honestly, that was the only thing he could really hunt. And there wasn't any judgment for the way you looked, acted, spoke, or about the clothes you wore. Guess what? The mountains and the animals didn't give a rat's ass if you had the same jeans on that you wore the year before. No, they didn't even notice, in fact. My father was a big wildlife freak. The man seemed to know everything about wildlife, and there wasn't an animal around that he hadn't studied at some point, and most of the animals he had studied in depth about. Our house was littered with the usual field and stream, Boys Life, and other outdoor magazines. My father always had books about animals, specifically about animals that lived in our region, just books lying around bookmarked and dog-eared for where he found the most interesting tidbits of information. He was adamant, to say the least, that all the boys learn about the local wildlife. At least a passing knowledge of animal behavior and tracks. The rest, he said, was up to us to learn or not. But to be safe on these trips, he had to know at least two things. The drills began for me when I turned five. I remember because my birthday came on the first day of our fall camping trip that year. My father had made flashcards of animal tracks for me to study beforehand, and I'd sat at it for endless hours all summer, and the cards were worn and smudged by the time the drill started. I was so excited to be included in the big boys' activities that I couldn't sleep the night before. I was the youngest of the three of us, and had to wait my turn to be included. I didn't like it, but it was only fair, I suppose. By the time I was 15, I was the best tracker of the group. The only person better at tracking than me was my dad. I could name any track I saw. I could smell a den of copperheads well before anyone else hear rattlesnakes warning even with the environmental noises at a peak. Smell the hidden mountain streams and spot the fish better than anyone. I knew which berries to pick and which were poisonous. And I knew the natural cures for whatever happened to nature too. If you got into poison ivy, well, I could walk around and within five minutes, I could get something to cure that poison ivy. Quite proudly, I turned into a career mountain man survivalist. The camping trips were my favorite part of my childhood, and it carried over into adulthood. Even as a young adult, I went on these trips with my father and my uncle. Vinny usually did too, but Rodney didn't tag along after he turned 18 and he moved out of the house. No. He was done, and said he would see us at the summer family reunion cookouts and on holidays. He would buy his food at the supermarkets, thank you very much. It's probably a good thing he did, too. We all had a good laugh about Rodney's choice, especially at the family gatherings. Sometimes, though it went too far. Usually when his father or mine had one too many beers and wouldn't quit when it stopped being funny. And at those times, I kind of felt a little sorry for Rodney. He handled it like a champ, though. I was always proud of him for that. One year, at the high summer family reunion, 
my father and my uncle Raz Rodney so badly that he got mad and stormed out of the yard and left with twin rooster tails of gravel dust in his grand Jeep Cherokee. He refused to talk to any of us for the next two weeks. Can't say I blamed him at all. They had been relentless with the wisecracks and demeaning comments. Their laughter, just nasty and rough. Just lacking any humor was aimed solely at being mean, and I thought it made them seem like overgrown kindergarten kids bullying the runt of the class. I turned 23 that year. And for the first time, my father and uncle were not planning their usual camping trip in the fall like they used to do. My uncle was scheduled to have surgery on his left hip and knee at the same time. And my father was going to stay with him. It was kind of my father's fault that Henry had the accident that required a double surgery to finally fix. You see, they'd been on one of their weekend hunting trips not long after the family reunion. And while well, they were in the tree stand together, drinking heavily. As... Well, had become customary for them, apparently. Anyway, my father had been teasing Henry about Bigfoot tracks in the mountain, and of course, Henry didn't believe him. And after a couple of hours of seeing no squirrels, deer, bears, foxes, or even a stray cat, my father set in again about Bigfoot. They argued, and my father took a swing at Henry. Henry avoided the punch, but... He toppled over the edge of the stand and hit the ground some 12 feet below. Now, Henry forgave Dad pretty much as soon as it happened when he was on the ground there. He never could hold a grudge. But my father still felt responsible and vowed to stay by Henry until he was well again. Dad wouldn't go hunting, fishing, or camping until Henry was well enough to go with him. Their bond was admirable. The same bond didn't fall to Vinny and Rodney, though. No. They were at odds with each other almost all the time. I could get along with either of them one-on-one, -on -one, but when they were both present, it was rougher waters to navigate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The lack of a planned camping trip for my birthday left an empty hole in my schedule, and I'd never figure out what to do for those three weeks of the fall. I didn't want to celebrate like a normal young adult by going to bars and nightclubs, parties, or whatever. I really wanted to go camping. I called Rodney first, and he faltered, saying he would call me back within a week to give his answer. He did have a wife, being the eldest of our little group, that made sense. Vinny agreed wholeheartedly. He had two girls he wanted to bring along, though. I had no girlfriend, as I recently was broken up with a steady girlfriend. I think she was number five or something like that. I don't have very good luck. And I was no good at the relationship thing for, I don't know, some reason or another. 
Vinny and I worked on the plans for the trip, and since it was going to be the boys planning everything, I thought it was a good idea that we planned to go somewhere different, somewhere we'd never camped before. We even planned on taking some food with us for the sake of the women, and for Rodney, of course. And this took some fancy weedling from me because Vinny was sure that the women he was bringing wouldn't mind hunting their own food. They were the outdoors types, he said. I reminded him that if Rodney happened to bring his wife, Allie, along, we both knew that the woman could barely use a knife to cut vegetables, and while the most she'd ever hunted was for a good deal on hamburger meat in the supermarket. One detail I'd failed to pass on to Vinny was that Rodney, after six days, still hadn't told me that he would go with us for sure. He kept saying things like, maybe, and, well, if I come along. I think the deciding factor for Rodney was that her fathers would not be attending, and therefore drinking and making him the butt of their not-so-nice jokes for the entire three weeks. The place we chose was far off in the beaten path, if you can actually call some of the Appalachian Mountains beaten path, and it required us to hike for the first three days. That there were two women accompanying us did not, however, slow us down at all, and they kept up admirably. They truly were the outdoor types Vinny had described. No one complained when we reached a trail that let out onto an ancient logging road. The rest of the way to the campsite would be much easier from there. And after walking the rutted and partially grown over logging road for hours, I saw the spot where we would depart the little comfort of the wide road. We traversed a flat woodland for about 800 feet, and then the land dropped into one of the largest ravines we'd ever seen. There was no way around. We had to go down into the belly of the ravine and trek up the other side. Our campsite was just on the other side. It was a place that had been dubbed California Fields by a traveling preacher back in the early 1800s. Our granny had told us stories that her father told her when she was young about this traveling preacher. He had spoken of treasures buried near California fields and had even drawn a picture of what the skyline would look like when one stood on top of the spot where the treasure was buried. I hadn't even told Vinny about my plans for this camping trip. I thought it would be a grand surprise to tell them all about it once we were settled in for the long stay. Treasure hunting would not only give us something fun and exciting to do, but it would also give us awesome stories to tell, especially if we happened to find the treasure. Granny was certain that the preacher spoke the truth. He had never told a lie, even a little white lie as far as she'd known. And of course, all she had to go on were the stories her father told to her. The circuit-riding preacher was long dead by the time she was old enough to hear the stories. Now, Granny seemed ancient and wise beyond all the world to me, and as I grew older, this feeling only grew stronger. She'd warned me solidly about hunting that treasure. She said that there were things, ungodly things, that lived on the mountain. And in my youthfully arrogant way, 
I nodded and listened, intending every moment to do just what she warned me against. I mean, really, let's be serious for a moment. Who believed the monsters? Copperheads were the scariest thing in the woods that I'd ever run into. Two-legged creatures, read people, were the only ungodly things I would worry about up here in these mountains. However, if I had only stopped for a minute to consider how infinite Granny's wisdom was, I might have reconsidered the trip completely. But I didn't, and now I have a story. A sad and terrifying story of my own to share with you. Silver linings and all. Finding them is not as easy as it sounds, though. So back to the story. Everything went without a hitch for the first three nights. The women loved the adventure of being away from everything. And I wondered how they would fare in another week. And I highly suspected that the novelty of the situation would wear off and we'd have to cut the camping trip short. Vinny was right in his comfort zone between showing off his woodsy skills to the women and wallowing in their constant affections towards him. They both looked at him as if he were a godlike creature. Rodney seemed uncomfortable from the first night, but he handled it like a champ, much the way he weathered my dad and Henry's mean jokes. He'd had many years of practice, though. On the fourth day, I pulled out the drawing and looked around at the group. They were finally settled enough and bored enough to get them in on the treasure hunt. Handing out copies of the picture drawn by a circuit-riding preacher in the mid-19th century, I told them the story. Vinny... Well, Vinny laughed. <laughs> but Rodney remained quiet, and the women were just absolutely enraptured. They'd never heard the story before. Vinny had an idea of where to start the hunt, and I had mine. Rodney followed me, not wanting to go off on his own. Vinny and the women went noisily off on their own path. When we were alone, Rodney told me that he thought we'd been followed and that we should be careful. He said he felt eyes on him in the dark the night before. Nodding, I agreed to be on high alert. I thought he was suffering from paranoia and dismissed his words as soon as we moved away from the campsite though. Who would follow us all the way out here? Who would have already been this far out to happen upon us by accident? No one. That's who. And I was excited and not the least bit worried about another person being out here with us. So we spent the entire day out there, just the two of us, Rodney and I, comparing skyline to picture from different places. And as the sun westered, we headed back to camp. I was exhausted from all the climbing and the false start digging. The power bars we'd packed tasted good that night, and I didn't eat supper. Just made my way to my tent after eating that power bar, stripped to my underwear, and crawled into my sleeping bag. And I was asleep within minutes. Later on that night, 
A high, piercing, and short-lived scream woke me up. And as I lay there in the dark, listening intently, I began to think it was the fading remnant of a nightmare. Then, I heard sticks breaking and the muffled groan of pain followed closely by a sharp snap as if someone popped their finger. And then, an uneasy silence. Something was wrong. Reaching for the zipper release on my tent door, a foul odor assaulted my nose, and I gagged as I unzipped the little canvas door. What happened next, well, it's a blur, because it happened all so quickly. The door flap fell inward, and I was on all fours. The blackness outside prevented me from seeing anything. Hands, or things much like hands with claws, grabbed me by my upper arms, and suddenly I was outside my tent. Stench smothered me. I kicked at the thing that grabbed me. It lifted me off the ground, high enough that my feet wouldn't touch, and then it slammed me onto the rough and rocky earth. And I saw glowing eyes as I bounced on the ground, whacking my head on a nasty outcropping of little rocks. This was no animal, and this was no human either. And clawing at the ground, I managed to vault forward and away from the thing. I put my tent between us and yelled for Vinny, Rodney, the women, anyone. But no one answered. Were they all dead? Was I alone with this beast? The thing slouched down on its haunches. The dying embers of the fire gave just enough light in the night that I could see that the beast was making ready to pounce at me. It was humanoid in shape. Not much, but a bit. It moved about on all fours like an animal and seemed to have patches of uneven, long, shaggy, matted fur on its body. The eyes reflected red in the glow of the embers, and I could just make out the shape of a short, snub snout. My usually quick mind froze. What the hell was I looking at? My brain couldn't decipher it, couldn't categorize it. It was like nothing in my extensive repertoire of animal knowledge. Nothing but a knife with which to fight it, and the knife was inside the tent. And I had to get that knife if I hoped to survive. The beast circled the tent, and I let it as I moved toward the opening again. I dove into the tent, grabbed my jeans, and then my ankle was being shredded as the beast dragged me back outside. Holding tightly to my jeans, I turned so that my back took the brunt of the attack, and I focused on retrieving the knife from the case on the belt still attached to my pants. The beast snarled and then shrieked as it lifted me into the air by my ankle. I freed the knife and I slashed at it. The blade made contact and warm blood spilled over my wrist and forearm. I slashed at it again and it dropped me. Before I could scramble away, it landed squarely in my stomach, knocking the breath from my lungs. Grabbing my head in both of those horribly misshapen hands, the beast slammed my head into the ground until I was unconscious. I awoke 
some time later. I inhaled sharply, swinging blindly and still trying to fend off the monster. But it wasn't there. And I had a kind of wide leather collar around my neck. The clasp had something over it that I couldn't dislodge. There was no way to unhook it. It was stuck on my neck. I could stand, but only if I kept my knees bent. A length of metal cable ran from my collar to a large boulder. The cable had been run under that boulder. Yanking on the cable only served to cut my hands. There were cuts on my head and face. My arms and legs and torso felt as if I'd been dragged through a briar patch a mile long. Sitting on the wet stone of the floor, I peered into darkness, willing my eyes to adjust. There were things around me, but I couldn't make them out. Just dark shapes in a dark room. No ambient light penetrated the pitch blackness, but there was a rancid, rotting meat odor that made my sinuses burn and my stomach turn. Taking a quick inventory of facts, I tried to determine what had happened, what had taken me, and where the hell I was stored. The best my brain could figure was that I'd been put in a cave. I could hear water dripping and I could feel the wetness of the stone floor around me. My leash was stabilized under a large boulder and the collar had been fixed to keep me in place. As I traced the cable towards its termination point again, I heard something slapping against wet stone and moving closer by the second. Pig grunts and guttural noises emanated from a point just to my immediate left. I shrank away from the sounds. The thing that had beaten and kidnapped me was coming back to finish what it started. I was certain of it. In the dark, I fumbled around for anything with which to defend myself and found nothing but a few small rocks. The sound of heavy stone being forced to move grating against the stone stopped me. Whatever that creature was moving sounded heavy, very heavy. Stone made a shrieking, piercing noise, and then light fell through an opening that hadn't been there before. It had sealed the room with the stone. Squinting against the little bit of light, I fell over onto my side, and I played dead. That's what you're supposed to do if a bear attacks you. This was not a bear, but maybe it would have worked. Peeking through my lashes, my heart thudding against my ribs, I remained motionless. Even when the creature walked to where I lay, stooped down onto all fours and pressed its stubby snout close to my face and sniffled, I remained still. Its body was humanoid in shape and movement, as long as it stood on two feet, but when it got on all fours, it was quite different. Its hindquarters were higher than its shoulders, and it sported a small, bony, hairless protrusion where a tail would be on a normal animal. Its fur was long, black next to the body, 
and fading to a reddish near the ends. It hung in uneven clumps that revealed large bald spots, as if it had suffered through mange. The worst, the worst of all was its face. I'll never forget a single line in that horrid face. There was no hair on the face. It was grayish in color, and the skin was thick like that of an elephant, and wrinkled under and over the eyes where it was extra thick. The stubby snout was black with pale streaks that looked like scars running to its cheekbones, and the eyes were large, too large, and gray in color. If you filled two glass orbs with smoke, that's what its eyes looked like. I was tempted to think it might be blind. Well, tempted. The thing had attacked me, dragged me to a cave, and put a leash on me. How could it do that if it was blind? So, I lay there while it sniffed my face, dripping long tendrils of thick, hot saliva onto me, and I played dead. Everything on me closed except my eyes. I think my pores even shrank two sizes as it made a thorough inspection of my body. Finally, when it was done, it slowly moved away. I didn't dare roll over or even open my eyes completely until I saw it dragging something toward the doorway it had opened. I opened my eyes in time to see that it dragged a woman's body as it exited on all fours, gripping her ankle in that misshapen snout. Gagging, I pushed to a sitting position, and I reluctantly scanned the room. My brain went numb. The sight was horrid. There were bodies and body parts, all in different phases of decomposition all around. Mountains of them, just out of my reach. The liquids leaking towards me. The hot tears stung the cuts on my cheeks, but I couldn't look away. If only I had left on my clothes, at least I would have had something to fight with. I would have had a knife to cut the collar with. But I had stripped to my underwear, more worried about comfort than about safety. Things, bad things live out there. You don't need to go running through that neck of the woods looking for cursed treasures, Johnny. None of you boys do. As I looked around at the mounds of bodies and body parts, Granny's voice haunted my mind. I had lied to her. I had had every intention of hunting that treasure no matter what anyone said or how many scary stories I heard about this area. And I spied an arm sticking out of the pile of bodies directly in front of me. It was clad in a red and black plaid shirt. And Rodney had worn a shirt like that to keep warm after the sun went down in the mountains. It was old, faded, had holes worn in it. 
the one in front of me looked the same. My heart jackhammered, and then I smelled blood as if I was going to pass out. I eased over to the end of my lead and stretched my hands out as far as I could. The arm was still four or five inches out of my reach, and the more I stared at it, the more positive I became that it was indeed Rodney's hand sticking out of the end of that sleeve from that pile of corpses. I called to him, but there were no answer. I tossed rocks and hit the hand, and there was still no answer. Turning my body, I used my toe to snag the cuff at the wrist of that unfamiliar arm, and I only meant to tug hard enough to wake him, in case he were only unconscious, and he could get me out of the collar. My heel poised above a half-rotten face that had recently been a man of indeterminable age, grazed the partially attached ear as I pulled Rodney's sleeve. The rotting head rolled to the side, accusing empty sockets trained on me as the head dislodged from the pile of parts and slid to the floor with a sickening slap, thud. And I had a literal knee-jerk reaction to this, and Rodney's arm landed against my side. My eyes saw that it wasn't attached to his body. But it took my brain a moment to catch up. Without thinking, I flung the arm away from me, and it landed several feet away on another pile of more decayed parts. The horror of what Rodney's arm meant hit me then, and I looked at the other parts and the other whole bodies much more closely. And I had to see if Vinny and the two women were there. And after about two minutes, I did in fact see them. All three of them were in a pile of whole bodies near the back of the cave. There was no time for tears or emotions of any kind at that moment. The creature was coming back. I could hear its feet slapping along the wet stone like before. I huddled at the boulder where my lead disappeared and tried to make myself small. No way I could lie prone and let that thing get close to me again, not without freaking out, and that would likely get me killed. The creature went to the pile of bodies at the back and grabbed one of Vinny's girlfriends by the arm, backed off the high mound, pulling her along, and only spared a sideways glance at me as it passed dragging the girl easily along. So furiously, I yanked at the cable again, putting my feet against the boulder and pulling on the cable until my head threatened to explode from the strain. Cable was not moving at all. If I was to get loose, it would have to be by getting the collar off of my neck. And again, I ran my fingers around the collar. It was definitely leather. Lucky for me, it wasn't made of metal, I guess. I began to look through the pile of body parts again with an eye out for anything sharp, anything I could cut out the leather with. The rotting head that had fallen to the floor accused me with its black empty sockets as I used my foot to lift and pull at the other body parts. And there was a long, thin, feminine-looking forearm that I pulled to me. There was very little flesh left on the end of the arm where the hand should have been. 
and taking a few minutes to think it through and get used to the feel of the dead arm in my hands, I knew what I had to do. Pressing the end of the arm bone to the stone floor, I began pushing and pulling the exposed bone, sharpening it. You would not believe how frustratingly slow that process is. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of time to grate a bone into any semblance of a blade. And I hope I never have to do it again. Several times I stopped and rubbed the sharpened edge against the collar, not satisfied with the results. I would go back to work, putting the edge on something never meant to even have an edge at all. And after cutting my collar loose, my next problem was finding my way out of the cave system and avoiding the beast as I did so. And moving as quickly as possible, I moved out of the doorway and turned right, the opposite direction the beast had dragged the woman's body. The tunnel was lighter than the room I'd been in, and soon I found an opening to the outside. I was back in the forest. The terrain looked different than where we'd made camp, but it was still a high mountain, and the sun had risen to a point that told me it was mid-morning at least. Listening for any sounds of civilization, I heard nothing save the wind through the trees for several minutes, and slowly I walked away from the cave, making sure to keep it dead behind me so that I was sure I was walking away from it instead of circling back toward it. About 20 yards away from it, and walking into denser forest, my blood chilled as the beast let out a bone quivering shriek from inside the cave. The echo was so immense and seemed to follow me as I fled down the mountain. I ran. I ran until I was at the bottom of the mountain, and I didn't recognize the paved road I'd come to, and I didn't care which one it was. I only wanted to be somewhere where there were other people. Eventually, a logging truck came rumbling along, and I waved it down. The man gave me a ride to the nearest phone at a convenience store and stayed with me until the police arrived. But I tried to take them back to the cave. But to this day, I've never found that cave again. Vinny, Rodney, and the two women Vinny brought along are all up there still. Never to be buried properly unless I do find that cave again. My grandmother has since burned her pictures. You know, the ones passed down through the generations drawn by that circuit-riding preacher. She refuses to speak about the buried treasure, and, well, in fact, you know, she barely speaks to anyone anymore. She never speaks to me. Truth be told, I'm not sure that I looked as thoroughly as I should have for that cave. I don't know. Maybe I have. Or maybe I blocked the path from my mind to keep finding the cave of horrors again.